Over the last nearly 25 years, one cartoon has stood above the rest as delivering a truly cinematic experience for its viewers. Batman the Animated Series was made by the central performance of Kevin Conroy, who's been on the show a number of times. This episode of the show brings you both Kevin Conroy and his favorite scene partner above all, Mr. Mark Hamill, who played the Joker on Batman the Animated Series and in a number of direct-to-video movies since then. We're going to jump right into the show. This is Electric Shadow. I'm Moises Chuyan. This episode is brought to you exclusively by the wonderful people at Fracture. You'll hear more about them as the show continues. This episode was recorded live in front of a crowd of a few thousand at Fan Expo Canada 2016. This is a very rare experience that we've got for you this afternoon. These two guys are so well known for the work that they've done together. We're not going to bring them out in terms of billing. We're going to bring them out together because between the two of them, they launched a phenomenon that has continued on through to today. So without further ado, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to bring out Mr. Mark Hamill and Mr. Kevin Conroy. weren't expecting over 3,000 people, were you? Look at all of you. All right, enough. You're cutting into the question time. All this right. is incredible. I had no idea there'd be this many people. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And I'm another person in the room. It's old, but it works every time. <laughs> now, you remember, the first time I did a Batman, I wasn't playing the Joker. I came in and did a part on Heart of Ice. Get away from that equipment. Shut this stuff down. Stop! This is my experiment. Your unauthorized experiment. I ordered funding suspended weeks ago. I'm already three million in debt, thanks to you. You can't stop it now. My wife is in there. So bring her out. You can't interrupt the process now. Open it. It's her only chance. This is my equipment. Mine. I have every legal right to use it or not use it as I see fit. I say this project ends now. No! Stay away from her. Murderer. Victor. I'm sorry. I lost my temper. It doesn't have to come to this. We can talk. Oh. Oh. Get out! Get out! The Mr. Freeze. The Mr. Freeze. I played Ferris Boyle, the guy that shoved Mr. Freeze into the solution. Oh. And I remember getting the script because I said to my agent, I want to be on this show because I was reading Comic Buyer's Guide. I'm a big comic book nerd. I don't think you ever read a comic you book in your are, life. He's a comic book maven. He's the <laughs> Bible on comic books. What I love, though, is you'd never read a Batman comic book. I didn't know anything about Batman. I, I love that. I love that. It just proves. It's like Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy. I'm going on and on about her origins, and she was looking at me like I might be a stalker. <laughs> so suspicious. But, no, uh, it's true. Mark has an amazing collection, and he's like the go-to guy for any information you want to know about anything in animation or any comic books. 
And when I started, I, my only exposure had been the Adam West series. Uh -huh. And that was not at all what they were going to do. They were going in like a whole different direction. And Mark, you were the source of a lot of the material that I would get and the well, backstory stuff. I knew they were going to go for that sweet spot where it was intelligently written and appealed to children, but was also entertaining for older audiences. And I started reading who they were putting together. And I said, oh, I got to get on the show. They said their, uh, their source... What they were emulating were the Max Fleischer Superman theatrical cartoons of uh -huh. the 40s. So I called my agent. I said, really want to be on this show. And they just gave me the part on uh, Heart of Ice. I didn't have to audition. I read this script, and I thought, my gosh, this is so deep and melancholy, yeah. where they make the, the, the sympathetic portrayal of Victor Freeze working on this cryogenic technique to you know, uh, preserve his wife. I said, this is really spectacular writing. So I went in and I was just geeking out like a fanboy because I'm looking at all the drawings on the wall and it was just fantastic. Uh, later, I think they rem uh, remembered me being that enthusiastic when they were casting the Joker because that one they didn't give me. I had to audition. But, um, uh -huh. and I, I told, I, I don't want to repeat the story, but I had great confidence because normally if you really want something, uh, they can sense that sort of neediness. The best uh, technique is to be aloof like you don't care. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I went in sure that they wouldn't be able to cast me because of the PR nightmare of casting this icon of virtue, Luke Skywalker, as the Joker. I said, there's no way I'm going to get this. So I was relaxed knowing that they couldn't hire me. Uh, <laughs> and but that's I, something that a lot of people, I don't think, knew about you. They saw you as Luke Skywalker. Right. You were this handsome, young, leading man. But right. you're really a character actor. Absolutely. You have the soul of a character actor. And that's why I went to Broadway to try. I mean, I got to play the Elephant Man. I got to play the Groucho Marx part in Room Service that Alan Arkin directed. I mean, they let me do character parts on right. Broadway. And Amadeus, I had been on the road... Uh, uh, we did the first national tour, and then they moved me to Broadway. And the, you couldn't change the lines, but you could play with the laugh because right. Mozart was meant to have this ghastly laugh that shocked everyone. So I really played around with that, and I had an arsenal of laughs uh, by the time I auditioned for the Joker. And later I asked Andrea Romano, what, or Bruce, I forget who it was, what did get me this part years later? And they said, oh, definitely your laugh. Because when we heard that, wow. we kind of looked at each other and went, that's the guy. Wow. Wow. So Andrea Romano, that's a good, good name to start on. She has so much the heart of what happened with this show. Because yeah. she... And with a shelf full of Emmys to prove it. What? With a shelf full of Emmys to prove it. Yeah, she's got like seven or eight or nine Emmys. <laughs> but she started out... A lot of people don't realize uh, she went to school in Binghamton, New York, or somewhere up in the snow country, and she uh, was majored in theater, and uh, she wanted to be an actress, but um, it just didn't work out, so she got into casting. And then from casting, she segued into animation direction. So when she approaches actors, she, she respects actors. She likes actors. And you'd be amazed the number of people in the business who don't like actors. <laughs> They resent us, you know, they don't, they, you know what I mean? They don't, you know, yeah, they I don't know what I mean? Yeah, I don't like actors myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so she, she loves you. She knows, she, she, yeah. she wants you to be good. And she knows how to talk in your language. Right. And she casts 
actors that want to work with other actors. She right. casts people who want to play together. Yeah. So she puts these wonderful actors together. And speaking of playing together, I did the first few episodes uh, that were already completed because they changed their mind about the actor who was playing the Joker. So an, right. uh, the actor originally recorded those first few episodes. I had to dub to his pre-existing lip flaps. So well, by the time I got wild. into... Uh, work with the cast. I mean, I'd already done four or five, and I love the way we did it because I got spoiled. I mean, it's not always done this way, but we were all together, yeah. and we did it from start to finish yeah. in chronological order. Nowadays, they, they come in and you know record uh, the actors separately, so you don't really get to feel the, the timing and the rhythms of the other actors, which is a shame. Well, we had the luxury then of everyone being in L.A., right. everyone's schedules kind of jiving, right. so we were really recorded like radio plays yeah and to be in a booth with mark is such a treasure i wish you people could see it because he literally embodies the joker you know he like his his mouth and his face and his mind he just he's like devouring the microphone and you're opposite from him you know you're acting opposite with him and you're going Whoa, you know i never saw myself until they did that making of for um for HBO. Oh, yeah, they did the back story, the back scene kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, and they, they had natural lighting, the camera's really yeah, hidden, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. sort of, then I, when I saw it on TV, I was appalled. I said, oh, my God, I look like a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it, you are a maniac. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, one thing about the Joker, first of all, it's fun to play someone who's completely detached from reality and insane, because if you're insane, you're unpredictable, and if you're unpredictable, you're never boring. But what I thought was interesting that they used him in such different ways. I mean, in one episode, he might be really sinister and scary in uh, um, uh, Harley and Ivy, where it's sort of a takeoff on Thelma and Louise. He's left to be the clueless uh, uh, house husband shuffling around in uh, oh, furry right, slippers. Right, right. So he was meant to be foolish. And I mean, every time they used him, it was a, a little bit different. And what I try and do is pretend like it's the very first time I've ever played it. So, and we've run the gamut, not only from the animated series, but then when they brought us back for the Arkham games, right. it was complete. Yeah. And listen, that's something that's very exciting because what we have thought what we had was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And all these years went by, and they did the Batman. I don't know. Uh, maybe they did. I forget if Brave and the Bold. My chronology might be off. But my point is, we, I never expected to go back. And, and one of the great thrills of going back was it was like a reunion of all these people that I really, we got along so great. And you know, Andre and Bruce Tim and Paul Dini, who won an Emmy right. for Heart of Ice, all those people came back. And uh, it was, a, you know, a second bite of the apple, which was great. Yeah, it really was great. And, you know, now to, to do something like Killing Joke, which is unlike any of the other ones we did before, uh, you know, it's, it's always a challenge, and it's never boring. What, what, what TV show are you watching on that end of the room, by the way? Oh, it's you. us. All right. I thought they were watching ESPN or something. The Killing Joke was, was a very challenging piece. I mean, this is something that people have been asking you guys for years. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this iconic Batman story? Were, is this something that, that either of you were chasing in particular? I think the challenge to doing Killing Joke was... One of the things was, if you want to do a feature-length film of it, it's a very short story. 48 pages. 48 pages. How do you do a feature film out of that? And also, it's so dark. 
um, how do you do a PG version? And they just decided, I think, rather than pad it out with filler to make a feature-length film out of it, they would write a prequel to the story, and then once you got in the story, it's very true to the comic. Right, the, so it's comic. embedded within a larger in, piece. Yeah, into a larger piece. And they made the larger piece feed that. Um, and then I think they also decided, look, you just have to go for an X rating if you're going to be true to the story, because it's really rough stuff. Not all animation is for children. I know, eight-year-olds come up and go, I want to see the new Joker. I said, don't you dare. No, no. It's creepy. Hi, Johnny. Have you seen Killing Joke yet? <laughs> well, and I, I had a very unusual experience because they sent me the disc when I was doing episode eight, right? And they said, you have to watch it by such and such a date because they're, you're going to do an interview with some magazine. And I was busy and everything. And then I looked at my calendar and went, oh, my gosh. Day after tomorrow, I start a sequence where it's going to be really involved and heavy special effects, so I won't be able to do this. And we were on night shoots anyway, where you stay up all day uh -huh. and then shoot all night. Uh. It's like vampire hours. So I got home one day, night, whatever it was, 4 or 15 in the morning or something. I looked in my book and I went, oh, my God, tomorrow afternoon I have to be interviewed about this. So I put it in and watched it all by myself in the basement of my house in London, and it just, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it because when I was doing it, I was into it and I got it. Then I, you know, a year goes by or whatever when the animation comes back. And I watched it. And it's, it's one thing to be in character and, and be, you know, I don't, you know, to be in the Joker's head. It doesn't seem the same as when you're watching it as Mark Hamill. Right. So I watched this thing. And it just weirded me out totally. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't figure out what I thought of it. You know, there's an old joke that actors look at the script and go, bullshit, bullshit, my line, bullshit, bullshit, my line. <laughs> and it's funny because it's true. We do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what I can't believe, I'm watching this thing and I said, did they send me the Batgirl stuff? Because I, I don't remember the reading it that much. And I don't think I would flip over. I'd read the whole thing. I think they might have sent me just uh, my pages. But when what happened happened, I went, huh? How that much of the story at the beginning was Batgirl, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of shocked at that, too. I was shocked. and I didn't realize there was going to be that much of it. And I went upstairs, and, and it was you know the daylight at that point. And I was lying down, and I was still awake two hours later. My wife's going, what's going on? I said, I, you know, it didn't give me nightmares. It just was so unsettling. I really yeah. couldn't sleep. That's why I'm sorry I missed it at the San Diego Comic-Con, because I'd love to see it with an audience. I never, I should see it once with, uh, you know, regular people, because by myself, it was too bizarre well, for words. To be fair, I was, I was in the room when you phoned it in in Hall H, uh, and, uh, oh, and yeah. the response oh, yeah, was, was enormous. There. Oh, good. Oh, the reaction that was That was great. before they saw it, though, yes. right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was anybody in San Diego? Okay. We got one. Because I heard afterwards there was like a near, I don't know, there was some back and forth between somebody that was, I mean, you know, it's come under criticism for being misogynistic and violent, using uh, Barbara Gordon as uh, a plot device rather than the person. It's weird, though, because I don't really... Uh, I like to hear what you think more than, you know, analyzing it myself. Dead silence. So? We've got some audience members who oh, are going to ask oh, questions yeah. right here. Can we have the we first have... question? No math questions, please. 
Hi. I just Hi. want to say that you guys are the definitive Batman joker to me. Thank you. Wow. It's so nice to have a partner, you know? And we really are a partner, because I think that it, we didn't have Kevin lying, laying the foundation of believability and strength that he does. You know, it, good actors make other actors look better, and this guy's one of the best in the business. He's just but, yeah. awesome. Not only, I mean, Thank the, you. the subtlety of his Bruce Wayne, where he goes up in the higher registers, I think is unparalleled. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember the first time I went and saw, was, we were doing the, uh, the Mr. Freeze episode, and I said, not only a great Batman, but his, the texture in his voice, it's almost like a good neck massage. It really feels good to hear. <laughs> anyway, what's your question? Thank uh, you. So it's not really a question, but I mean, um, I'm a big fan of the interaction of the two characters, and I was a big fan of uh, you guys making the Killing Joke movie. I was wondering if you guys could redo a scene from The Dark Knight um, as your voices over Christian you're, Bale. You're asking as... to do a dramatic reading? Oh, they want us to dub over The Dark Knight from Christian Bale. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! No, I think Christopher Nolan would probably cut off our heads yeah, and throw it right in our faces. Yeah, we get in big trouble for that. I yeah, we, you know. Just a couple lines that I have printed out. Uh -huh. do? I don't think so. No, we, we don't want that to go on the internet, do we? No. The closest I've come is someone asked me to say, why so serious? Which I did. Yeah. Now, what was your conception of the, uh, the voice? Because people always ask me, who did you put together to, to come up with the Joker? And I, I don't think I consciously realized it at the time, but as a kid, I loved all the universal horror films. And I, I loved talking like, you know, listen to them, the children of the night. The and so I loved Bela Lugosi. Yeah. I loved Peter Lorre and Boris Karloff. I loved all those guys. And one of the, uh, my favorites was The Invisible Man. And Claude Rain says, crazy? You think I'm crazy? I'll show you who's crazy. <laughs> he, had, he had such grit and drama. And it was so dynamic. I didn't consciously uh, say I'm going to go in and do Claude Rains, but in retrospect, I'm sure he had a big influence. Other times I did specifically take things like um, the Blue Meanie in in Yellow Submarine, and I thought, I think Joker should have a lilt at times. And, and one of the things, the uh, lines that stuck out from Yellow Submarine was, hello, glavy-davy. And it's, it's creepy in a way, and I, I like to mix it up as, as best I can. So even in the laughters, the, you know, the, the, by the time we had been doing a few years, they'd say, do a Renfield, which is Dwight Fry as Renfield in Dracula. The <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. <laughs> there's even a little Dame Edna in the chuckle. Huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hello, Mark. Oh, welcome to Toronto. Thank you Thanks. very much for coming here. Thanks for having me. Uh, back in 2005, uh, you played uh, a character in a Japanese video game called Goro Majima. That uh, your performance struck me as very similar to the Joker's in the animation. He was uh, very crazy and only perhaps only a little more sane uh, than the Joker himself. Uh, did, did the staff ask you to, uh, to, to, uh, to use your Joker skills, or was that your idea for, for that game? I wish I could answer that I have no memory of the game you're talking about. <laughs> what was it called again? It was called Yakuza. Yakuza, which yeah. is like a Japanese mafia, right? Yeah, you were right. Okay, and I was playing a villain, obviously. Yes, a, a what? <laughs> 
a little you know, bit of I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's hard. I remember when they, one of the things that happened was after Batman, I started, you know, I was type as a cartoon right. supervillain. Right. So I go in and do like Hobgoblin on Spider-Man and, and the difficult, <laughs> thanks. But the difficult thing was to try and, and make it sound different than, I said, I'd be recording, oh, that's a little too close to Joker. Can I do it again? But to try and uh, keep what I did for Batman exclusive to Batman. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many megalomaniacal villains can you do without slipping into Joker territory? It's right. not easy. Right. Would, yeah. one, would my impression of a line of yours uh, jog your memory? Okay. Okay. This is the part where you're supposed to laugh. Laugh, you idiot. Laugh. Wow. You're better than I am. <laughs> Seriously, people come up to me and do Joker all the time, and I, I've met some remarkably gifted fans that do my voice like, uh, you know, you think, did I record that in one yeah, of my really? infrequent blackout periods? It sounds just like me. Yeah, yes, you, uh, you said something. All right, I hope I answered Here your question, go. which of course thank, I did. Thank you very much. I don't remember that game. Electric Shadow will be right back. <laughs> this episode of Electric Shadow is brought to you exclusively by Fracture. Go to FractureMe.com and learn more about having your photos printed on glass. The photos are printed on glass and look more real than they've been since you took them. If you have those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, if you have those important people in your life that maybe you're looking for a gift for, things that you want to commemorate, things that you want to make worthy of putting on your wall, you don't want to get the chintzy, super low-quality plexiglass frame at your local department store and put something that you had printed in a, in a pharmacy on an inkjet printer into it. It's, not, it's just not going to look good. The thing that the people at Fracture have focused on from the very beginning is presentation and how presentation counts. I've actually been to their facility in Gainesville, Florida, and I've taken a look at their uh, magical machines that you can't photograph because there's all kinds of secret mumbo-jumbo that goes into this stuff. But the beautiful thing about it is the laser precision of what it is that they do, from the actual printing to quality control to making sure that it gets out the door and what you get is something that is really going to last a lifetime. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast, learn more, tell them that you learned about them from Electric Shadow to help support the show and save 10% off of your first order. A couple things I should mention. Fracture is based right here in the United States and all their stuff is made in the USA, but they do ship internationally. So if you're one of the new Canadian friends that I made up in Toronto for Fan Expo, you too can take advantage of this offer. On top of that, I should mention, get your orders in now for the holidays. If you're wanting to order things for family, these make amazing gifts. If you have a picture of a once-in-a-lifetime experience that you had, whether it was at a comic convention, whether it was at a national park, whether it was at you know one of those plastic-covered theme parks, you name it, that is the way that you want to preserve that memory for a lifetime. They're really gorgeous. Try them out. You won't, you won't really, really get it until you see it vividly true to life right there in front of you. FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that Electric Shadow sent you. Thanks so much to Fracture for exclusively sponsoring this episode of Electric Shadow and supporting ESN. Now, back to Batman and the Joker. All right. It looks like Kal-El himself is asking oh, the I next question. I can see that S. I can see that big red, big red S. <laughs> First, I'd like to say you guys made my childhood. Thank you for that. Thank I you. Uh, 
It's what got me into comic books, and although I love Tim Daly's Superman, you guys are the best. And so it's our, all our fault that we wasted his youth. Okay. You did. You did. <laughs> My question is for Mark. Uh, it's, do you like to play the Joker more, or do you enjoy playing Luke Skywalker more? You must choose. <laughs> I like him for different reasons. Again, you know, as an actor, you look and you say, what is, why is my character there? What do they need from that character to make the story as good as it can be? And, uh, you know, I think the villains are fun because they're so outrageous and you get to do things you would never do in real life. I'm telling you, people that come up to me and want me to do the Joker, it's almost like having a really vicious and malevolent uh, ventriloquist dummy. Because you can insult people and they love it. (laughs) It's like Don Rickles. I recorded a a message for a comedy awards in, in London that I couldn't go to. And I just said... All of you sitting on your fat, spotty bottoms. I mean, I was just ripping them. Uh, I was really rude and awful. <laughs> but they give you a pass if you're the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. They all love it. Oh, he, he, he said we have corpulent behinds. <laughs> so you can get away with murder. <laughs> As we all know, there's plenty wrong with me. All right. Thanks so much, Mark. And Kevin, your voice is velvety smooth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Velvety smooth. Do your Andrea Romano. (laughs) He would do this once per session. Uh, we had to have it. It became sort of like a ritual. Before it started can... out just as, a, as I was goofing because Batman, Batman never kills anybody and no one ever dies in Batman. Everyone goes sent to Arkham. So the way they do that is they have what's called a recovery groan. When you go, <laughs> So they know that you're still alive. You know, the guy hasn't been killed. So I do a lot of those with recovery groans. So one day just joking, Andrea loves Batman, the director. So that's why they named Andrea the character in uh, Mask of the Phantasm, because that's, it, was a, it was an homage to Andrea Romano. So um, one day, I had fallen down, and I'd hit the ground, and I went, ah! Oh! Andrea! We all loved it. And the place fell apart. Oh, yeah. And she said, I'm taking that home tonight. (laughs) So it got to be a ritual. Every time I had a recovery groan, I'd hear, and then you say, Andrea. See? That's that neck massage I was talking about. (laughs) And speaking of falling apart, I'll never forget, I think it was Joker's favor, the character didn't even have a name. It was like henchwench, you know, Joker's henchwench. And in comes Arlene Sorkin. Oh. She opens up her mouth and calls me Mr. J. And we just, I mean, we just fell about. It was hysterical. It was, I mean, really sort wild. of a little Judy Holiday from Born Yesterday. Holiday. But that just sweet cluelessness. I mean, we just adored her. And, of course, we knew before we left that afternoon they, they'd have to bring her back. She wasn't named Harley Quinn at the time. 
but uh, just a remarkable performance. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just great stuff. Yes, yes. Yes. Hi, how's it going? Good. Good, good. Uh, first, I want to say, yeah, I've been also watching the Universal Monster movie, so I understand where you're coming from with your acting. Yeah. All right. So, given the fact that you've already also done voices for Marvel, like Hobgoblin, like you made mention of, and Wolverine in Wolverine's Revenge, the video game, uh, to shake things up, if both of you guys could play a Marvel character, what character would it be? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I am playing Arnim Zola on the Spider-Man. Is it Spider-Man or Avengers? It gets confusing. With animation, not only is it like volume, 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 where you do lots of things, but then it's nine months to a year before it comes on. And they never send you an email saying, oh, and by the way, your episode's on yeah. a week from Thursday. It's just like, catch as I catch forget. I forget what I've recorded to I know, you it's forget? terrible. We'll I don't have, have a Cartoon clue. Network on. My kids will be in my TV room with a Cartoon Network on. I go, shh, wait a minute. I think I'm the voice of that lobster. <laughs> well, what show is this? <laughs> it happened with Powerpuff Girls. I think I played a cat or something. And, and I, I'd forgotten I'd even done it. Yeah, I forget things I've yeah. done all the time. Yeah. I don't know. People ask me what other superhero I would want to do, and I always say, where do you go you, after no, Batman? No, see, that's it. I mean, yeah, he, he's, where do you go? I totally get that. I got, I got the brass ring, you know, yeah, with my first try. Absolutely. And where do you go after the Joker in terms of a villain? Well, I don't know. He's like the, you know, the guy, the go-to crazy guy. I know. Well, you know, I actually played the trickster before I played the Joker. So people always say, did you get that part because you played the trickster? And if you understand show business... The animation department at Warner Brothers has no idea what the television department is doing at Warner Brothers, which has no idea what the feature film department is doing at Warner Brothers. So, no, when I went in for Batman, they had no idea I played the trickster, which, again, is a variation on the Joker. That's the thing. These characters, you know, really set the standard for all that followed. So whether it's the prankster or you know, Toy Man or whatever... Yeah, they're all sort of variations on, on uh, the original uh, Joker. I was wondering, could I uh, imitate your voice, what you use from the Wolverine game? Please. Am I supposed to thank you or just a lousy shot? Oh, okay. There you go. Well, you know what's interesting? The thing about uh, video games is when we read a script for a play or a movie... Uh, or a television show, you can sort of understand the arc of it and how it's supposed to be paced out. With a video game script, which is about this thick, you record so many variations exactly. for how the player's going to play that you just sort of give up. I don't really... I can't figure them out. Well, but The because, story, because there isn't really a storyline. Right. But you also want to build your... You say, well, I'm going to go low here because in this scene I'm right. going to really pitch it up high, there you're sort of like turning over the control of your character to the player. So you do three variations that are wildly different, you know, either right. positive, negative, neutral, all those things. So it's like giving the, uh, the, the, the game uh, jigsaw puzzle pieces and letting the player put together their own puzzle. Exactly. But and also, because of the way they're played, they want to have completely clean takes. So none of us can record together. They, they always record you separately. Right. And so you're alone in a booth for four-hour blocks of time, and then you have an hour for lunch, and there's another four-hour block. So it's eight hours a day alone 
doing line after line after line after line after line. Now, could you do it with a little more irony? Line after line after line. <laughs> Keep the irony and a little bit of a smile. Line uh, after line. Uh, you know, it's... And, and you're trying to keep the character alive, you're trying to be true to the character, keep the voice going, and you're acting in a vacuum. Sometimes I say the line before mine out loud to hear it once so I know how to come in. So you know where you were. Well, you were. I mean, I'm so, I mean, I can imagine if Kevin were there, um, you know, and even if it's a character I've never worked with before, just to get the feeling of how it sounds. But yeah, it's a much more technical thing when you're working without other people. I got spoiled on Batman. Oh, yeah. Because I did one animated series when I was a teenager in 72, and then I didn't work in animation for 20 years. And when I did Batman, I thought, oh my God, the scripts are great, the actors are all fantastic, and the dress. I mean, it was just a dream come true. Yeah. And I thought, all animation's going to be like this. No. No. Surprise. No, yeah, surprise. But really, I mean, with Wolverine, I was really excited. I said, ooh, cool. I said, first of all, I couldn't imitate Hugh Jackman if I tried. They said, no, 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 we don't want to do Hugh Jackman. Just do it like sort of Clint Eastwood. So I gave it that gravelly sort of gruffness and so forth. And I thought, oh boy, I hope this is a hit because then there'll be sequels and so forth and I'll play, at least in the video games, I'll be Wolverine. And they gave me a copy of the game when it eventually came out and I gave it to Nathan and Griffin, my two sons, because they still play games and stuff. And about a month and a half later, I went, oh, by the way, you guys, how, how, how was that Wolverine game? And they both looked at each other <laughs> and they said, well, you were good. I went, I went, that bad, huh? They didn't like the game, so... And they never made a sequel, so... But you never know. I mean, sometimes the art direction is great, all the other actors are great, but right. since I'm not really a game player, I don't know how they right. play it. A lot of things that we have no control over uh, right. are uh, important as to whether the game is a success or not. Right. You know, control and what, what you're able to do. All right. But the way Arkham Knight ended, I just loved Yeah acting that and I loved the way they put it together. Yeah. When when Batman has to take in the Joker. Oh yeah. That? Well that's the thing. I mean they killed me in the second one. So when they came back and said we're going to do Arkham Knight. I said, you guys, that was Paul Crocker. I said, if you can come up with a good way to bring Joker back, what is it like? Is it like a force ghost or something? <laughs> uh, but they came up with such a, a, a novel and unique way to bring yeah. him back. Uh, just amazing. But, uh, okay. all right. Next. Hi. Um, so I have a question uh, coming from a lot of fans. Mm. What is your opinion on Young Justice, and do you think it should be brought back? I'll answer for Kevin. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. <laughs> See, do I know this guy or not? I don't know. I, I, you know, I've seen clips from it and stuff, but listen, I'm really embarrassed. I still haven't seen um, the, uh, the new uh, Joker in the movie, which is called Suicide Squad. I've seen clips and everything, and I think his look is so dynamic, and I can't wait to see it. I know people have issues with the script and so forth, but sometimes, you know, I don't have time to keep up with all this stuff. Yeah. And Young Justice, I'm not even sure. It's like their teenage version. I don't know what it is. It's, it's like Justice League and the teenage versions together. The Joker was terrible in it, so don't worry about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings Batman me... Batman was great. Batman was, was great. No, yeah. I still haven't seen Suicide Squad either. Right. Mm. 
But I love so many jokers. I've never seen a joker where I said, oh, that's terrible. There's always something I like. The very first joker was Larry Storch in animation. And I love Cesar Romero. I liked all the movie jokers. I love John DiMaggio's. I love Jeff Bennett's. I, you know, Kevin Michael Richardson. There's all, they always bring something. Like with Jeff, I thought, ooh, I wish I had brought that smarminess to him. Everybody has their own spin. And since I don't think there's ever going to be a definitive version, it's like a role that's destined to be reinterpreted over right. and over and over again. That's the one thing I like about what they did with casting all the Batman for the live action movies, not mm. giving the franchise to one person. Mm. So you get to see how all these different actors and person right. you know interpret the character. Because there are always a million ways to interpret a character. Absolutely. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. So we gotta watch Young Justice now. Hey. Yeah I know. Hey. Um like, I know you said you didn't really see Suicide Squad, but you saw clips of the Joker. Mm-hmm. What, what's your opinion on the Joker? And for you, Kevin, what's your opinion on Ben Affleck's Batman specifically, and you, Jared Leto's? Like, positive, negative? I, I like Ben Affleck a lot. Oh, I, I think know. he's terrific. Yeah. I think he's great. My favorite part of the movie is when he takes the sink from the wall and crashes it over Superman's head. Because they invited me to the premiere in London, you know, Warner Brothers did. And when they do that for you, they expect you to tweet about it. I thought, what do I say about this? Because, uh, I mean, it was so hard to, you know, come. I couldn't be a critic and come up with an opinion in 12 hours. But I remember tweeting, uh, need surgery to have eyeballs reinserted into sockets. Because it was eye-popping. And my hashtag was everything and the kitchen sink. Yeah. Because I love that. It was yeah, so it was, all, it was all over the place. Kaboom. <laughs> but the thing, the thing I didn't like about the movie was that they crossed that line where Batman kills people. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And I just... To me, that's always been a very important distinction about Batman is that he doesn't kill. He puts them in Arkham. Well, also they had Superman kill in Man of Steel, didn't they? He kills Zod yeah. or whoever that. Uh, yeah, Zod. Is it Zod? I love that actor from. Uh, um, Michael Shannon. Yeah, from Boardwalk Empire. He's amazing. So how's that for a non-answer? <laughs> <laughs> we can Better talk around answer. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it, and I haven't seen it. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Toronto. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank for you. By the way, everyone in Toronto has been unbelievable. The, yeah. the fans here, I have to tell you, that whole Canada nice thing, yeah. you know, it's very much alive here. Amazing. Everyone's been great. The nicest people. They and really are. A pretty cool prime minister, too. Love Justin Trudeau. Yeah. I, uh, I, just before I, I ask my question, I want to say very quickly that uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to speak to the, the hero, uh, the man who portrayed the hero of the greatest story ever told. Um, Corvette Summer changed my life. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there's my fan base. There you go. The young, and of course, the mentally young. <laughs> no, mentally young me. right here. No, I can't. Okay. Skywalker has been my hero since I was, I was little, and still is. Great. Thanks so much for saying that. My question is that um, when you started working together uh, on the original animated series, uh, you mentioned that this was a terrific series that was accessible to children, but at the same time didn't talk down to them and appealed to adults at the same time. Uh, You moved on to the Arkham games, 
excellent games. I've enjoyed every single one of them that I've played. Uh, but it was a while before I was comfortable with my kids playing them. Yeah, yeah. Sure, um, sure. And uh, your most recent effort, which I admit I have not seen, uh, The Killing Joke, definitely not for kids. Right. Um, how do you feel about that, that progression, I guess, in maturity? Well, a lot of people don't realize that the original Batman series was a primetime show when it was on Fox. It was geared toward a primetime audience. So they were going for an adult audience. Um, he never killed. Uh, no children were ever in danger. They had all kinds of standards and practices that they, that they respected. But it did kind of, it did paint a very dark world, a dangerous dark world. And they thought that was really for uh, prime time. Uh, it gradually went into well, the afternoon. Because we have standards and practices, or they, the censors have a list of things you can and can't do. I mean, you can't yeah. punch someone in the face, you can't throw them through a plate glass window, no alcohol, no drugs, no sex. You can't and, endanger the life of a child. And you know, we had to go back and re-record because in that one episode, I kidnapped the mayor's son, and that was a no-no. Right. So we had to go back where the kid stows. We remember I was playing a clown at a children's um, birthday party. Mm -hmm. And they, we went back and had to have the kid stow away in the back of my truck because kidnapping a child was verboten. Right. And what was hard about that one is you had to come up with another voice, and it's you that recognize. You say that laugh when I when I'm doing the the. I, think I didn't say quite that way. Well, that's my that's the best <laughs> I can do. That's my Kevin Conroy impression. <laughs> but if you go back and watch that episode, I'm, I'm sort of doing Ed Wynn. Everything I do is sort of somebody else. The thing that's great about it is if you do like really bad impressions, like no one knows that I'm doing. You know. George C. Scott, because it's a terrible impression. <laughs> but but it, you can, if you can find role models to sort of put into the DNA of the character and then eventually make it your own, that's what I tell, uh, uh, you know. And I said to voiceover people after a few years in the business, I said, have you ever done that? Because I'm doing this part now that's sort of a cross between Howard Cosell and Jay Leno. And some of the best people in the business said, oh, we do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. But to get back to your question, they're very aware of, of who they're writing for and what the audience is and, and being careful about that. Um, but they decided with uh, The Killing Joke that it, you couldn't tell that story in a PG way and be true to the story. And they just decided this is an adult show. Um, so not all animation is for children. And that's also, as the, as the industry evolved, animation became a much bigger Thing. There's a huge adult audience now. There's a whole primetime world on Fox, especially with Family Guy and stuff. Some of that humor's not right for kids. Yeah, and I look at it as sort of like the difference between a graphic novel and something that really is aimed at a younger audience. So, I mean, if you're careful, I mean, if you're a good parent, you'll just steer the kids away from the stuff that's not appropriate. I think the games were all marked for 16 and up and so forth. Because, I mean, we were doing sequences and we were like, can we do this? Yeah, this no. is really, huh? Yeah. Okay. But uh, um, I like it because, again, it's, it's, it, it keeps it fresh and different. I sort of long for the, the old days when it, it was... Because the, the original animated series was much more like a comic book come to life. Yeah. You know, I get letters saying, why don't you kill more people? <laughs> and I said, well, on the cartoon, it's all, Joker's all, you know, bark and no bite. 
because uh, you know he's we're restrained by by the censors and now that sometimes restraint is good because you have to find a way to be clever and entertaining without just you know absolutely blowing people's brains up so absolutely you know you look at some of the earlier sitcoms the Dick Van Dyke show and they were so witty and but they couldn't get near a joke that had even the double entendre right. sexually but nowadays you mentioned Family Guy, you go, can they do that on TV? I know. I know. There's kids in the room. All right. Oh, I know. Thank you very, Thank much, you. very much. Sure. Guys, we've got time for this one last question. Oh, wow. I'll talk fast. That went fast. Um, Mark Hamill, what is, who does, besides it's gonna be, Hey, we're here for you. It's going to be fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Mark Hamill, who is your favorite Batman besides Kevin Conroy? And Kevin Conroy, who is your favorite Joker besides Mark Hamill? I sort of answer that question because I always find things that I like. I mean, I love Cesar Romero's energy and exuberance. I mean, he was just like I'd never seen anything like that before. Although I think my favorite villain from the original series was Frank Gorshin's Riddler. Yeah, yeah. And one thing, I, one thing that I remember reading about Frank, which was really informative for my Joker, he goes, it's not that the Riddler laughs, it's what he laughs at, which is unnerving, you know, things that we wouldn't find funny. Yeah. And I really wanted to make sure when I did Joker that there wasn't one specific laugh. I wanted it to be like an orchestra. You know, I wanted to use laughs for various reasons so that uh -huh. he had a whole arsenal of laughs in his repertoire. Although the idea of kids on the playground imitating me gives me pleasure I can't describe. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, when I was a kid, that's all, you know, I was... Smarter than the average bear. You know, I just, I just loved, I loved the music of the human voice. And yeah. I'm telling you, the Looney Tunes, the Jay Ward cartoons, Bullwinkle, Disney, all that stuff, that really was something that, and I, as a kid, I remember seeing, they showed Clarence Nash on one of those making of Disney specials where he was recording Donald Duck. And I was maybe six or seven. And I thought, it finally clicked, you know, Somebody goes to work every day, and his job is to be Donald Duck. I want that job! <laughs> that I couldn't get. I'd do a terrible Donald Duck. But there are different takes on, on all the characters, and each actor brings different takes. I, I mean, Mark is my Joker. He's the definitive Joker. I can't imagine anyone And right it. back at, he's my Batman. I mean, there's Kevin, and then there's everybody else. Yeah. So That's the way I am about we're Mark. Biased. There's Mark, and there's everyone else. <laughs> and again, it's like, I love the, 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 the dance we do, because I know Kevin's rhythms, he knows mine, and you, know, you slip into a familiarity that's really nice. It's like slipping on a comfortable old pair of shoes. But what's also nice is there's a great trust between us. Mm. You know, actors are people. There are some nice actors, there are some not-so-nice actors, there are generous people, there are not-so-generous people. You can be on stage with someone who does nothing but upstages you, and you're constantly battling for the scene. Mark is someone who understands that the better I am, the better he will be, because he has more to work with. Yeah. And I feel the same way about Mark. So I take such joy in watching him do his dance because I know it's going to get something really wild out of me. You know what I mean? It's going to make me be better. He makes me be a better actor. 
Vice so that's versa, what I always too. look forward to. Exactly, exactly. And the colors are right. You know, they've endlessly analyzed the Joker and the Batman's relationship, you know, that they complete each other. And that, you know, I mean, one of the most informative lines I ever, I wrote the introduction for that Joker coffee table book and I couldn't get a hook on it. I said, how am I going to write in 1,500 words what this has meant to me and then it occurred to me uh, in The Man Who Killed Batman when the Joker believes that some two-bit crook has killed Batman which is his that's his goal in life that's what he's and when he and when it's done by somebody that's just you know a nobody a nobody exactly and the line <laughs> I remember was uh, without Batman crime has no punchline I thought wow the fact that he would conceive that crime needs a punchline, right. it's great. It's a great, really uh, helped me understand the character a lot more. And that's Paul Dini again, a wonderful writer. Yeah. That was a, I love the shadow. That was a wonderful last question, which makes me want to ask a follow-up since we're closing in on the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Before we send you guys off with, with a true hero's farewell, are you guys done with these parts? Have you done everything there is to do with them? Do you want to keep no. playing these roles? No, listen. Batman's been around since 1939, and they haven't run out of ideas yet, so I think there's a lot of mileage left in the characters. And, you know, I remember when I thought I was leaving, everybody later, I said, don't ever announce that you're leaving because everyone said, what a liar you were. Uh, but I thought I had ended the run and I just, you know, tweeted about how great it was and what an experience. I'm really going to miss being the pilot of that crazy car. What would you think about doing Hush? <laughs> what would you think about doing a death in the family? What's ironic is that uh, a lot of times, like when we did Mask of the Phantasm, remember the executive saw it about nine months into production and said, this should be a feature. Yeah. And they threw us an extra million dollars, which we had to put at the, in the end and opening credits because the bulk of the movie had been finished. They had that same second thoughts about killing Joe. They thought, oh, let's put it in the theaters. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if you guys did this from the get-go and say, we're going to do this as a feature and really give it a feature budget and so forth, the irony, of course, is that your part would be Ben they Affleck and my us. part would be Jared Leto. Yeah, they wouldn't use so us. So be careful what you That's wish for. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? That's it. That's it. Why, okay. thank this you. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it for Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy. My thanks once again to Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy for participating in this panel, for allowing me to post it as a podcast, uh, for checking off an item on my podcasting bucket list. And thanks especially to the people at Fan Expo Canada for inviting me up, having me host a bunch of stuff for them. What's happening right now in the audio is that just before we went off stage... Kevin just decided he needed to bring Mark back on stage and dip him Gone with the Wind style. 
Thanks again to this episode's exclusive sponsor, Fracture. I can't stress enough to you, if you have those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, uh, whether you were lucky enough to be on stage with people like uh, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy, Stan Lee, uh, the kinds of stuff that I get to do at some of these conventions, whether you were in the audience, whether you were there with a friend cosplaying, there are those things that you want to preserve as memories for a lifetime. And Fracture gives you an opportunity to do that in a way that... I. Again, it, it, is, it is difficult to put precisely into words until you actually get this thing into your hands. But the best thing that you can do other than already have it in your hands is go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them from Electric Shadow. Place an order, see what it's like, and get your orders in for the holidays for the end of the year before it is too late to make sure that you have it in time. They do get a bit of a rush, I promise you. This episode of Electric Shadow would not be possible, again, without the, uh, the friendship and the participation of the people at Fan Expo Canada. Uh, I'll be attending Fan Expo Dallas Fan Days this coming weekend in Dallas, Texas. we got some cool stuff happening there. Uh, if you listen to Giant Size especially, we're taking a short break from our ongoing series on voice acting for our next episode, which will be posted before the end of the week with the director of Doctor Strange, Mr. Scott Derrickson. You're not going to want to miss this. It's an exclusive interview in that he didn't do any sit-down interviews with anybody else at San Diego Comic-Con. So I can't thank him enough in advance for his candor, for the level of exclusive access, uh, and you guys are going to want to tune into this one. You can support the show by following it on Twitter at underscore Electric Shadow. You can like it on Facebook. You can rate and review it on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Tell people that you love this show, and that is the best support that I can ask for. It's been a while since there's been a new one. Uh, Various uh, family uh, illnesses, occurrences, issues uh, that I've had to deal with, um, and I'm glad to be back. We've got some ridiculous stuff coming this fall, both on this show and a new show that I've been working on with a very good friend of mine that is, you could say, in the same category. Too careful with all those weirdos around. <laughs> I'm Moises Chuyan. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in mere days with a brand new, fresh electric shadow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>